Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Damn it, Janet! The Fed has finally raised interest rates. This sets the backdrop for a year of change in 2016, but how should investors set their course going forward? Welcome to the FT Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett, and this week, to mark the end of the year, we bring you a special two-part edition of the show. The first item is a recording of a panel discussion with a group of financial experts, including our very own columnist Merrin Somerset-Webb, on what investors can expect in the year ahead, and their full discussion is the FT Money cover feature this week. After that, we have a separate item where Deputy Money Editor James Pickford interviews our adventurous investor columnist David Stevenson on his top investment picks for 2016. A clue is that his ideas are concrete and come with a continental twist. What does the year ahead hold for investors? With markets in the US and the UK braced for the first interest rate rises in nearly a decade, investors are worried about further cracks emerging in the Chinese economy and remain divided over the prospects for emerging markets. But what does this mean for stock markets in the UK and beyond? Surely the long bull market run cannot go on. And closer to home, could this be the year when the London housing market bubble finally bursts? Well, FT Money put together a dream team of financial commentators to attempt to answer all of these questions and more. The full article will appear this weekend, but for now I'm joined in the FT studio by Meryn Somerset-Webb, our columnist and the editor-in-chief of Money Week, Stephanie Flanders, the chief market strategist for JP Morgan, and David Riley, a partner at Blue Bay Asset Management, to find out what their key takeaway was from today's debate. Merrin, our cover star, I'm going to come to you first. What were the key things that you thought picked uh, your interest today? It's very hard to boil this down. It was a fascinating conversation. I think two, maybe three things, actually, I thought were most interesting. The first was our conversation about Brexit. You know, there is a general assumption around the table that the correct answer is to stay in Europe, which is not something that I see reflected from our readers and people I, I talk to. They think that the correct answer is to leave Europe. There's obviously political risk around this and where there's political risk, there's market risk. So some of the people at the roundtable were very concerned that there would be a, a, a huge market upset, both in advance of a vote and after a vote. And I, I suspect they're wrong in that most people will feel around it that actually even if there's a, a vote to leave, not much will change. Not much will change in the short term, in two, three years, maybe four years, maybe five years, maybe forever. You know, things will stay roughly the same with all the relationships, the trade relationships, economic relationships, etc. So there's an awful lot of worry around that, but also an assumption that the vote will be a stay vote. I think maybe there should be less worry and possibly an assumption that it might not be. The second interesting thing is the general concern around uh, pensions. Everybody has a view on pensions and the fact that everyone has a different view on pensions and how they should work 
uh, tells us clearly that they're too confusing, too complicated and, and generally just wrong. So I think that the government will take more steps to address that next year. And that's something that everybody who's saving and investing should be thinking about. Obviously, the key is we, we all say is to put as much into your pension now as you can because you haven't got long left if you're a higher rate taxpayer. And uh, my final point on that, which I don't think anybody else agreed with, was that you should put that money into gold miners and silver miners. <laughs> well, we'll read more about that in this weekend's edition. So, Stephanie, let's come to you. What were the two key takeaways of the discussion from your view? I thought it wasn't surprising that we spent a lot of time talking about monetary policy divergence mm. and particularly the implications for investors of the first rate rise in the US. But I think it was an interesting discussion because you realise how quickly we get to the point of wondering not so much about these short-term rate rises and what they mean for the global economy, but just this lurking concern that we're not going to have very much firepower for the next problem when the next problem arises. And there was an interesting discussion around you know, whether we were putting enough weight on the possibility of a recession in 2016. I think most people, it was not part of our central scenario, but the data coming out of the manufacturing sector and other parts of the economy made us wonder, well, are we being too complacent? The other thing that struck me, I thought we had quite an interesting conversation around the UK equities and what has been such a striking feature of the last few years where fund managers have actually found it very easy to beat the market and in fact have had to show a remarkable degree of outperformance on a three-year basis in order to be in the top quartile. That, That outperformance is very much driven by key calls, particularly just not buying any commodities and uh, mining stocks. And there is surely when that period finally comes to an end, and it may not be 2016, but we must be closer to it now, what happens to those fund managers, how they position themselves in that different environment, which is possibly more of a sort of traditional research stock selection environment, I think is a it's an interesting question for investors when for most UK investors, even though we're a very globally oriented investment or community, actually do have their single biggest holding is UK stock. And certainly there was another interesting discussion over um, the following pensions freedoms for how much longer the over 55s will need to have fund managers when they have got the time and in some cases the, the willing to uh, do the investment detail themselves. So finally, I will come to you, David. Now, you had some stridently different views from some of the others in some of the conversations that we were we were having upstairs. What were the big takeaways for you? I think the takeaways were firstly around a lot of issues that worry investors and will remain in place. And in particular, I think that political risk seems to be on the rise and we talked about the forthcoming US presidential elections, but also the rise of nationalism, populism and across the globe and within Europe in response to the migration crisis, including things like uh, Brexit as well. So there's a lot of political and therefore potential uh, additional market risk, which is out there. And it does feel like we're in an environment where we are expecting markets to climb the proverbial wall of worry. I think there was some cautious optimism that some of the assets which have performed so badly recently, such as commodities, such as emerging markets, may face some upside over the next 12 to 18 months, while those which have performed extremely well of late, including UK and London property, may be coming to an end and uh, running out of steam. 
I'd say the, the the final point would be that a lot of the fears that were expressed were around China global growth, but less so around higher interest rates and in particular higher US and, and UK interest rates. And I think that reflects the fact that we are all anticipating and hence we could get caught offside a little that uh, central banks will remain extremely dovish and interest rates will rise extremely gradually going forward. Oh, thanks very much there. And now, for those of you who prefer your investments to be a little more adventurous, in the second part of our podcast, my colleague James Pickford caught up with FT Money's adventurous investor David Stevenson to hear his take on the year ahead and where investors with more of an appetite for risk can find value. So, over to our next section with James and David. David, thanks for coming in today. Oh, pleasure, pleasure. And uh, happy Christmas to all the listeners. Thank you very much. Well, first, as we approach these uh, Christmas holidays, there hasn't been much cause for celebration on the UK stock market. Would it be fair to say, do you think, that the miners have ruined the party? Again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yep, absolutely. They've ruined it again. well, I, I mean, I, I'm not terribly surprised. I, I've written before in various of my columns that I think that oil prices are going to go much lower, and I'm still predicting a bottoming out at 20 bucks for West Texas and 25 for Brent. And that, unfortunately, doesn't sound very good news for, for the FTSE with a very strong concentration of oil stocks in there, the big guys. And unfortunately, there's a very direct correlation going on between the miners and the oil stock and oil prices. So iron oil prices are quite closely correlated. And I don't think we've seen the end of that swoon for quite some time. And I think the market might be getting things slightly out of kilter because I just think the lower the oil price goes is fantastic news for the real economy because we're removing effectively a large rentier block, which is the oil block, the OPEC block, who've basically been sucking money out of the global system for decades and effectively using it to buy a nice property in in, uh, central London. And we're actually recycling it back in the consumption of the Western economies. And so I personally think it's, it's great news. Unfortunately, we're in the capitulation phase of the commodities swoon downwards. And it like I've been watching the market for like you have for many, many decades. And I never ever trust bear a cycle until we see the capitulation phase. And the capitulation phase usually consists of <laughs> one or two very large companies going bust. And we haven't had that yet. Or some very, very big kind of bond defaults usually. And we've not really got there yet. So I am afraid that I think this will carry on for a while. I actually think this is terrifically good news for the UK and the US economy, but paradoxically. And we should always understand that the FTSE 100 is not a surrogate for the UK economy, just in case we need to repeat that point yet again. So this week, you've got your adventurous investor Mm. eye focused on Europe, and particularly the Eurozone. Why is it you think that investors will see better performance on the continent when, you know, Super Mario Draghi is still pumping out yet more QE or quantitative easing? Well, the important thing to bear in mind about uh, Super Mario, as you rightly call him, is that he was a bit late to the party, or at least the ECB was a bit late to the party in QE, and they've got a lot of catching up to do. And if you were to measure them against the Bank of Japan, they've got a hell of a lot catching up to do, because the Bank of Japan is well and truly down that long journey of QE. But I think what's very interesting is the slightly insipid announcement about the amount of QE he was doing. Everybody was expecting a big bazooka, and it was a bit insipid, really. I actually take that as good news because I think that I think he's watching what's going on, the kind of underlying indicators in the Eurozone. And I think it's actually looking a lot better than we all think. Corporate profitability is really beginning to pick up in the Eurozone. And I think if we're in the start of a kind of six to 18 months upswing cycle in the Eurozone, then you'd expect the most 
price sensitive, what we call in stock market terms, high beta, which basically means those stocks that do well when markets are bullish to do well. And those are small cap stocks. Um, Mega caps, the large caps in Europe and the Eurozone are pretty highly valued, to be fair. But a lot of small caps, valuations could increase by a great deal. And that's the lesson we've seen in the upswing in the US economy which is that U.S. small caps measured by things like the Russell 2000 have done really, really well. And I think there's a lot further to go for the small caps in the eurozone because I think there's some very interesting companies. And as I mentioned in my column, the really important thing is that Super Mario is turning the tap on credit for small and medium-sized businesses. And that really benefits small and medium-sized enterprises because actually that credit can help them at a valuable point in the cycle. In your column this week, you've, you've mentioned a couple of funds that investors could consider to gain exposure to to Europe. What are they and why did you choose those? Let's start with the property ones first. I don't necessarily think that mega large caps in Europe is a good idea. I think they're pretty expensive. I I do think, though, that you need to be very targeted and very focused on how to invest in Eurozone. So small caps is is a good area. And I've mentioned a very good small cap fund run by the JP Morgan team who have both an investment trust and an open-ended unit trust, and they're virtually the same vehicle, unimaginatively called the JP Morgan European Smaller Companies. And there's a very good fund out F&C that does very similar kind of thing. And again, the, the, the idea there is that you're picking up the upswing of the European economy and the opening of credit. In the property market, that, that's an interesting one. I, I think that the property market in Europe is probably much earlier in, in its own cycle. Property has a different cycle than business cycle and the stock market cycle, dependent partly on credit and dependent partly on, on building supply and, and a bunch of factors. And we're probably mid to late stage in the UK, more particularly London property cycle. You know, we've probably got another six months to a year to go. I think in some of the key Eurozone cities, and we're talking here, the Berlins and the Parises, and some of the second level cities as well, big business cities, the globalised cities, I think they're much earlier in the cycle. I I just saw the IPD figures for the UK. IPD is the main body that collects figures for the commercial real estate industry in the UK. And, you know, um, up until I think it was the end of October, we were still on track to get 13.5% total returns on the UK commercial market. I I think there'll be a lot lower next year. I said I think we're at the top end of the cycle. But what that says to you is the key city markets in Europe are going to do well. And there's a lot more for them to go. And I think actually if you get good active fund managers, and this is an area I would have actively managed funds. I'm not a subscriber to the idea of being ETFs in commercial property who are really knowledgeable about the European market. And that means they've had teams on the ground for years and they've been doing this a while. It's a good area to be in, yeah. It's not going to blow the lights out. Um, it's actually not done badly even in the last year, but it could do a lot better. And it, so, for instance, we look at, I look at the Schroders. Schroders have long had a team in Europe. They've long invested in Europe. They've had lots of guys on the ground in Europe. They're a pretty good one. And I think the Schroders European Investment Trust is new and interesting. And there's another one out there. Uh, there's another one out there they've got which is a more specialist european one so i think property is the place where i'd be thank you very much indeed david you can read the articles that inspired both of these items in this week's ft money part of the weekend ft which is widely available on both saturday and sunday or read us online ft.com slash money and follow us on twitter at ft money now Did you miss out on a ticket to meet and quiz the FT's My Portfolio columnist, Lord John Lee? Tickets for the ISA Millionaire's reader event in January sold out within days, but in the manner of pop stars Adele and Beyonce, we have added an extra date for John Lee due to popular demand. If you would like to attend and get the chance to put your questions to him about any aspect of investing in small cap companies, the new event is Monday the 25th of January at the FT's central London offices at 6pm. Tickets cost £25, 
and include a glass of wine and the chance to purchase a cut-priced, signed copy of John Lee's book, How to Make a Million Slowly. If you'd like a ticket, send us an email, money at ft.com. We'd love to know what you think about the prospects for investors in 2016, your thoughts on the impacts of the Fed's decision to raise rates, or about money matters more generally. You can get in touch via email, our address, money at ft.com, or tweet us at ftmoney. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website at ft.com slash money. There's just time to tell you what else is in this weekend's edition. Still looking for a last-minute Christmas gift? Merrin Somerset Webb reveals her winter reading list in her back page column. And the market for selling on second-hand annuities has finally arrived. Our pensions expert, Josephine Cumbo, assesses your options. Plus, we've shared tips from our sister publication, The Investor's Chronicle, and the latest director's deals. The Money Show is produced and edited in London by Naomi Rovnik. We will be back next year. Your next FT Money Show podcast will be ready to download on Wednesday, the 6th of January. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us, and we wish you a very Merry Christmas and a profitable 2016. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.